0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report.
2: And of course today I'm, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host. You say coastal. You say we are recording this episode on Thursday, November fourth, following the Bears' 33 to 22 loss to the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday. You know I talked about this early, earlier in the week a little bit uh, when I joined uh, Robert Schmitz on WCG on his post game pod there. But you know this is one of those games you say where I felt like while it's it was a tough loss to take in the swing of things here in the short term when looking at this in the season for this current iteration of the bears, you know, I I think this was a positive game overall though, for the future outlook of this franchise, because, you know, we finally got to see Justin Fields flash. Once again, he had that great game against the lions earlier in the season, but I thought this was Justin Fields best game of the season uh, to date so far. Uh, What were your thoughts on the game this past week, you say it and then you know of course how are you doing today man
3: well first things first i'm doing well funny enough it's um playoff season here in illinois you got high school football kicking off which is always exciting so yeah shout out to the wheat north falcon football team they're gonna be taking on hoffman estates at 7 p.m Friday. So I'll be there working that game. Going to be fun stuff. But yeah, man, listen, I'm doing well. This Bears game was, I thought, what it was. I mean, there were definitely a lot of times. There were, look, a lot of times that this game was super winnable. You look at the handful of plays that Justin Fields had. I think the biggest one that stuck out was that 22 yard touchdown run in the third or fourth quarter go ahead, kind of bring the Bears within one score with Cairo Santos missing the extra point that would have tied the game. But what really kind of stuck out to me was if you go back and you look at next-gen stats, Justin's passing chart. You see that in an offense and a player that is usually... The offense in this case has traditionally been predicated on deep to short in the passing game, the quarterback in Justin Fields. Well, he's always been a guy that's been kind of predicated on deep to short. It's what Justin did best at Ohio state. Now the way that you're looking at this next gen passing stats chart is that it's the exact opposite. Justin had very few throws that went beyond 15 yards. He had, the rest of his completions were all basically under 15 to 20 yards. And the reason I bring it up is because we're seeing more and more now. Justin's playing with time and pre- timing, precision, accuracy. We're seeing more and more that, okay, the game's slowing down and he's understanding that, yeah, while he has to put the entire team on his back and be Superman because of the situation he's been placed in, we're also seeing Justin understand that in terms of his decision-making, hey, the 30, 40, 50-yard bomb down the field is – going to be great looks great on paper but sometimes it's also better to just go ahead and take what the defense gives you and if that's a five to seven yard curl route or a hitch route or a drag route you know what then that's totally okay as well and so I think that that's really what we're seeing with um Justin is just the continued progression and I know that Cole Komet had a touchdown that was dropped in the end zone um that I think would have been the that it drop touchdown right there that should have been a touchdown was definitely a um, game-changing play and so ultimately for the Bears I mean it's another one of those things where it's like should have gotten it done but didn't get it done which is becoming the theme of this 2021 season
2: yeah absolutely it just seems like the Bears you know for whatever reason they just keep on coming short uh, when they absolutely need to excel in some of these big time moments and it's like you kind of mentioned Justin Fields being Superman in this game. Obviously that, that scramble touchdown he had was uh, the highlight of the day. I mean, just fantastic all around. Um, I, I was literally like laughing when that play happened, because it was just so spectacular. That, that was the only reaction you could have. Uh, Justin Fields looks so um, incredible and special on that one play alone. But right after that play, you get Kyle Santos missing. I think his first extra point of his Bears career, that wasn't a blocked kick. So it's like, you had the highs and then the lows of this game. And, you know, it, it was, it was kind of frustrating to a degree because, you know, obviously when you see Justin Fields playing that well and the rest, it seemed like the rest of the team was dragging him down. It seemed like uh, whether the defense just not playing a good game at all. Uh, the receiver's not really helping him out too much. The offensive line being what it is. And then the four ers you know, shutting down the bears running game in the second half. You know, it seemed like Justin Fields, he had to answer the call on this one, and more often than not, he did so. And I think you brought you brought up a good point to where the fact that, you know, we're still not seeing the deep shots in this offense, you know, ever since that Lions game where they, they had a couple, where they had four or five you know, explosive passes down the field, and Justin Fields showed off that deep ball accuracy that had a lot of scouts, you know, calling him a special prospect coming out of Ohio State. We haven't really seen that since, but I think you're right. You know, the, the, the quicks, quick game stuff the in rhythm throws he looked a lot sharper with those he looked a lot more decisive uh, on those types of plays in this game and it, it really showed I think some positive growth for him because you know he struggled a lot with some of the quick game stuff and and the underneath throws the were the timing has to be well and he has to be reading things you know correctly in order to get the ball out on time he struggled with that immensely At times this year, Um, we saw that against the Browns, uh, you you know, he he could not get the ball on time. It seemed like to save his life in that game. And certainly against the Buccaneers, he had some struggles getting the ball out time as well, though the offensive line having their issues also didn't help in those matters. With that said though, this was a, this was a, obviously a really nice stepping stone for Justin Fields showing out that franchise quarterback ability. He looked like a bona fide franchise quarterback in this game and you know overall that's really the main takeaway to have from this one it was that Justin fields he looked legit he looked like that first round pick that uh we've been all waiting for him to see and it it was a it was a fun game to watch from that perspective in terms of everything else though this was uh a showcase of this bear this game was a showcase of you know the this bears roster around justin fields not very good and i think that's got to be exemplified by the defense having their worst outing of the year since the Rams game where I don't think the 49ers punted the entire game uh correct me if I'm wrong on that uh you said but yeah it, it seemed like you know the, the defense whenever they needed to make a key stop in that second half the 49ers were just rolling offensively and and you know the, the run the, the run defense was really bad but then you know not getting you know key stops whether it's about that that Debo Samuel screen where he got 83 yards on a third and 19, you know, letting Jimmy Garoppolo run for two touchdowns on you. Uh, that, deep, that deep shot to Debo Samuel late in the first half, like there are just way too many breakdowns in this game that are just unacceptable for a defense that has been the calling card of this team over the past five years or so. But I, I think we're starting to see the cracks in this defense come to fruition. And
3: when you have guys like Cleo Mack
2: and Eddie Jackson out, uh, that's not a good sign for your unit as a whole.
3: Yeah, this certainly was a game for the Bears where you saw the roster holes that were apparent, like you mentioned. And in terms of the defensive side of the ball, I think that's particularly more important when we talk about roster holes because let's be honest, I mean, right now there's roster holes on the offensive side of the ball. But the good news is that the Bears have some young talent up and coming that you're going to hope is going to emerge and is going to fill those holes. Now, the other half of it is that the defensive side of the ball, I mean – Robert Quinn's getting older. Eddie Jackson's getting older. Akeem Hicks is getting older. There was no Khalil Mack out there. I think that this game, what it really showed was how important number 52 Khalil Mack is to the rest of the Bears defense. I mean, I tweeted this out, and I think it's certainly worth noting that Akeem Hicks, Robert Quinn, the Bears front seven did not get to Jimmy Garoppolo One time on Sunday. Now that's noteworthy because it makes you wonder hey, how much of the production that we've seen from Robert Quinn and Akeem Hicks and the rest of this Bears front seven has been as a result of the presence of Khalil Mack? Teams get so busy double and triple teaming Khalil back, that it frees up Hicks, Quinn, Roquan Smith, one of these other guys that go ahead and get after the quarterback. Those are the things that we need to look at. And so this Bears defense, you saw the holes. And I think that when you go back and you watch the All-22, the most noticeable thing that I think stuck out was that Elijah Mitchell was being shadowed by linebacker Roquan Smith the entire game. That's 49ers running back Elijah Mitchell. And then there's also another half to this is that as soon as Eddie Jackson went down, you saw the 49ers were so content with taking advantage and throwing down the middle of the field on nearly what seemed like every single play with Muhammad Sanu and Debo Samuel because Kyle Shanahan's a mastermind. He took advantage. And I understand that there are some Bears fans out there who are going to talk about Kyle Shanahan in a negative manner. Has Kyle been perfect? No, he hasn't. But I think it's also worth noting with Kyle Shanahan, that one thing that's never been an issue with him has been execution, has been play calling, has been the scheme that he's running. Okay, It's a very quarterback friendly system that I think any quarterback can even look semi-decent in. And so, yeah, while Kyle Shanahan hasn't been entirely better than Matt Nagy, Kyle Shanahan's technically been better than Matt Nagy in some ways, because let's be real. I mean, you want the cherry on top? And got to the Super Bowl at the end of year three. Matt Nagy was still trying to figure out whether or not the offense was going to graduate to 202 in year three. That's just where we're at with both these head coaches and teams.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you look at Kyle Shanahan, if Kyle Shanahan somehow got fired by the 49ers today, in my opinion, Matt Nagy, I would fire Matt Nagy on the spot and I'd be offering Kyle Shanahan everything he wanted besides maybe personnel control. Um In an instant because Kyle Shanahan he is a great offensive mind. Uh, He's one of the best in the NFL and you can tell you just see the difference when looking at these two offenses operate, you know the 49ers for all their faults and all the injuries that they had to deal with and you know Jimmy Garoppolo limiting them uh, to a degree, you look at that offense and they consistently move the ball they're consistently pretty efficient uh, running the ball and they consistently get receivers open in the passing game. And you just don't see that with the Bears offense, where it, it seems like everything you have to, you know, the Bears have to fight hard for every single yard gain. it seems like. So, yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, Cal Shanahan, I think he showed, you know, why he's such a great offensive mind in the second half making those necessary adjustments and catching the bears off guard more than a few times like he caught the bears off guard a lot in this game and it showed so you know obviously moving on from this game here you know a lot of negative talk about when it comes to the rest of that bears uh this bears team going forward you know again i'm gonna go back to the fact that the, the one positive he had to talk about is justin fields looking good but you know, kind of moving on to the broader discussion of this podcast today, the one thing I wanted to, to uh, touch on here uh, was all the events and drama of the trade deadline this past week. So the trade deadline uh, went to pass, I think it was yesterday, November 3rd, or either either then or Tuesday, November 2nd. I, I, I'm blanking on which day for some reason, but um, usually the NFL trade deadline is quieter, certainly a lot quieter than the MLB and the NBA trade deadline where you see a lot of major moves typically go down. And in the NFL, you don't really see that. So um, I, I was intrigued to see if the bears were going to be active at all. And, you know, ideally I would have liked to see, see them sell a couple of their assets. When you look at Alan Robinson going into the final year of his contract, Keem Hicks going into the final year of his contract, some other veterans on this roster that probably aren't going to be here in 2022 and beyond, you know, maybe try and see if you can get anything for those guys uh, on, the, on the trade market there. Obviously none of that happened for this bears team. You know, the one thing I was afraid of was that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, you know, coaching and, and uh, you know, basically having their jobs on the line this year, were are going to be aggressive and try to make an, another trade here to bring somebody in and give up even more draft capital and get salary cap space to kick it to the future which I'm glad that didn't happen. But in terms of, you know, what eventually did go down for this Bears team, are you surprised that the Bears didn't make any moves? And, you know, what were your thoughts on the Bears being quiet on the at the trade deadline in general?
3: Well, let me start with the first one. I'm not surprised the Bears didn't make any moves. I mean, Ryan Pace has made, what well, one move in season to trade for a player at the trade deadline in seven years. And even that was wide receiver Don Troll Inman back in 2017. But then the second part of the question is this ultimately signals to me that the Bears still believe what they believed at the end of the 2020 season was that we believe the strength of the defense is the The strength of the roster is the defense. We believe that we can win now. We believe that our roster is good enough to consistently compete for a playoff spot. We believe that most of the same core that's been in the playoffs two out of the last three years has a chance to kind of reverse the curse and get to the playoffs three out of the last four years. That's ultimately what's going on here. So for the Bears, I mean I can tell you guys firsthand right now there were a couple teams interested in guys like Hakeem Hicks and Allen Robinson, but I also think that the Bears were more so looking at their return and saying yeah nothing's really coming to fruition here because this is a regime that's too confident in its players sometimes and the unfortunate part is that the bears don't know when it's time to move on from players unfortunately they just don't know how to do that under ryan pace when you look at um team hicks right now okay he could have been traded to denver or the los angeles chargers But ultimately, the return that the Bears were going to get for Akeemix was likely going to be some 5th, 6th, or 7th round picks. You could argue maybe 6th and 7th round pick. A really good return for Akeemix would kind of been what the – Baltimore Ravens got for Calais Campbell, which was, I think, two-fourths in a fifth-round pick. But the Bears were never going to go that high with Akeem Hicks anyway. And then you look at Allen Robinson. Well, he really wasn't going to be traded for much of anything. It was going to be, what, a second- and a third-round pick maybe? Maybe you throw in an extra second-round pick there in 2022 or 2023. And then ultimately... a. Ake- Khalil Mack and David Montgomery are other names that were just kind of floating out there. Yeah. Those guys, I think that they're both untouchable Khalil Mack's contract makes it impossible for him to get traded. And then any trade the bears make would have to kind of be okayed through the sense that the bears would basically have to say, yeah, we're going to offload this guy for future assets, but then ultimately we're also going to have to eat tremendous amount of his cap space. And the bears aren't in a position right now to be eating cap space for players that aren't even on the roster.
2: Yeah. That, that Cleo. Sorry about Cleo, training. Cleo Mac is just complete nonsense at this point. And again, it has nothing to do with, you know, the idea. Like I, I can get bought. I can, you know, Understand the sentiment that you know you need to start retooling this roster on the fly and starting to get out of these, some of these bigger contracts and get you know move away from some of these older players and getting something for them. So I can understand that from that standpoint of why the trade Cleamac for that reason. Um, that I understand that point clearly. I, I I want the Bears to be sellers at this point and be willing to trade some of their older veteran players for draft picks like that makes a lot of sense but it's literally impossible for the Bears to trade you know Khalil Mack at this point because you know I, when you break this down on over the cap like not only if if the, if the Bears trade Khalil Mack with his current contract situation you know not only would they barely be sending any money this year on the cap but they would carry a 27 million dead cap charge next season for Khalil Mack not to be on the roster like Trading Cleo Mac was never going to happen, and then if you and then you consider the fact that you know they would probably would have had to eat some salary on Cleo Mac, um, in order to facilitate a trade because a lot of the contending teams don't have a lot of cap space, and I don't see any teams willing to trade for Cleo Mac unless they are a contending teams. So that would have put the Bears over the cyber cap at that point. So yeah, it, it made no sense to trade Cleo Mac. That's we'll throw that out. But in terms of Akeem Hicks and Al Robinson, who I thought were the uh, two biggest. Names out there that i think the bears could have actually tried to make a move uh for you know i I think would have made sense for either one of them because you know alan robinson you look at his situation here you know he isn't a big part of the offense you know what are you really losing there he doesn't want to be here in chicago clearly clearly the bears don't want to pay him the price tag that he wants or he thinks he deserves uh so I, i i saw really no point in keeping him at this point, And again, I'm, I'm, I've been firmly on the bandwagon of, you know, extending Allen Robinson and keeping him in Chicago long term. But if, if it's not in the cards where both sides clearly don't want him here in Chicago long term, it, it points to me that this Bears regime, like you kind of said, one, they don't know when it's time to move on from players and they like hold on to them to the last moment. But it also reeks of desperation as if that, you know, th- this Bears regime with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy running the show, they clearly know that their jobs are on the line here and that, you know, making any move to get rid of any talented player at this point uh, could destroy their chances of saving their jobs because they need to win and show progress this season. Otherwise, changes could be coming at Hallis Hall. And the fact that they did not make any moves whatsoever or, you know, basically weren't taking calls on guys is what, it's, what it sounds like to me. It sounds like uh, from what I've, you know, been... Recollecting here is that you know the Bears were pretty much against selling at the trade deadline, which speaks to me that uh, that they're really not realistic about their expectations. And this has been been a common theme with this bear with Ryan Pace here overrating, like like you said, overrating the talent on the roster, having too high of expectations about what this team is capable of. And I, I think it's very it's very much the case that this Bears franchise right now they still believe that they can make a run. At the playoffs this year and sneak in with what they have right now. And that is just not one. I don't think that's realistic at this point, given that the fact that they're three and five, they're falling behind clearly in the playoff race right now. And they're still starting a young rookie quarterback. And there's going to be still some ups and downs throughout the year to where there's going to be some struggles. And this defense clearly isn't what it used to be in order to help out a young quarterback in terms of keeping games close. So you have that aspect of things. And then, you know, also just not recognizing that this year in the grand scheme of things isn't important because this team isn't contending they're not going to be you know in, in the running for a super bowl this year or really even next year when you're really being realistic you know this year is all about Justin Fields and his development and in terms of the rest of the players in this roster you need to be figuring out who's going to be with, on this team 2 to 3 years down the line and who is expendable right now because they're not going to be on this team two to three years down the line. So that's why it makes sense to move on from a guy like a King Picks and see if you can get a sixth or seventh-round pick and clear a little bit of salary cap space to move on from him. That's why it makes sense to move on from a guy like Alan Robinson, who clearly isn't going to be here next year because either the front office doesn't want to pay him or he's just fed up with the whole situation and wants out. Um, That's why it makes makes sense that even if you're only getting like a day three pick for those guys, you got to – do it because this year doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things but clearly you know the bears are only thinking about as ryan pace is as ryan pace does he only thinks one year at a time he doesn't have any view of this team long term and part of that starts with the ownership putting that mandate on the bears that you know you gotta show progress this year otherwise you're gone but that's where we're at with this bears franchise unfortunately and it's and it's frustrating because they're not making the necessary moves to help out Justin Fields and his rookie contract window where it it is so beneficial to have a quarterback that's uh, that's good on a rookie contract you can build up the rest of the roster around them and they're soaking up resources that could be going into building you know truly building around Justin Fields in the future to support a team in the present that has no shot at competing and is just a mediocre team at best so not a lot of great stuff uh, in my opinion for this Bears at the deadline you know I I, I again we kind of knew that they probably weren't going to be making moves that they were if anything they were going to look to add at the deadline which just kind of speaks to you know how delusional this regime is uh, but it is what it is at this point you know in, in terms of moving on to some of the other moves at the deadline you know there were um, again typically the NFL is quiet as a trade deadline it's not like the NBA or MLB but there were some significant moves. Uh, this past week and I think the big one you say that we have to talk about here before we move on to some college football um, here is Von Miller being traded from the Denver Broncos to the Los Angeles Rams for a second and third round pick Um, this was the big move of the week what were your thoughts on that move both from the Rams perspective and the Broncos perspective
3: yeah, so from the Broncos' perspective, I think what's happening is this, is they basically punted on the 2021 season. Now, you look at the Broncos' roster. I mean, the offensive side of the ball, they have a lot of really good young talent. You're looking at Chavante Williams and a Sunday young running back. You have a veteran presence there in Melvin Gordon. You have Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, who's out for this season, Cortland Sutton, a couple really solid wide receivers. Hey, Noah Fant's a good tight end. Now, what they need to figure out on the – offensive side of the ball is who's going to be the quarterback of the future because Drew Lock, Teddy Bridgewater, aren't it? They have a pretty solid OL 2 Now you look at the defensive side of the ball. I mean, pretty much everyone from that 2015 championship team is gone. You have Patrick Sertain, the second, a really solid cornerback. And then you have Justin Simmons, one of the better safeties in the NFL. I mean, he's certainly a centerpiece of that secondary. That front seven, though, is kind of lacking. I mean, look, front four is okay. The... Pass rush, though, Bradley Chubb hasn't really taken off the way a lot of people hoped he would have, especially for a guy that was a top 10 pick back in 2018. And so ultimately, selling Von Miller and trading him away wasn't just about the end of an era. I think it was also a move by general manager George Patton, who just realized and understood that, yeah... Vaughn could have finished out his career as a member of the Denver Broncos, but then also we're in a mode right now where we need to continue to offload whatever assets we can. And the most valuable trade piece on the entire roster was Von Miller and boom, shipped him out for a couple day two draft picks, which is totally fine because again, That's what this Broncos team is going to need as they just continue to build through the draft. I mean, they're right now in a perfect position where if they find another really good head coach, because I don't think Vic Fangio is going to last the season in Denver, they find an offensive-minded head coach and figure out quarterback, they can still continue to just build through the draft and be set up for years to come and compete and not really have to dip so much into free agency to kind of patch roster holes up.
2: Yeah, and when you look at this Broncos team, they are legitimately – a quarterback away on offense at least from being a really dang exciting team uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball when you look at like you said Cortland sutton jerry judy they have a potential to be one of the better once he punches at wide receiver in, in the nfl no offense he really talented tight end uh they they have a nice uh solid staple of running backs there with melvin gordon and javante williams and then kj hamler uh, Tim Patrick, some of the other players that they have on this offense. And they've invested quite a bit in this offensive line as well. Like they have a really dang good offense and they're just a quarterback away. And I think, you know, the Broncos did exactly what the Bears should have done. Like they saw that, you know, after a good start, uh, this team clearly isn't contending for anything this year. Uh, they're falling behind in the playoff standings. And clearly this is a long-term project where they need to set themselves up to go get the quarterback Either to get, go swing, make a big move next year for a guy like Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson in the trade market, or even trade up for a quarterback in the first round because right now they're kind of toiling in mediocrity right now. So they, you know, they saw Von Miller as their most valuable asset, like you said, and um, you know they sold him to the highest bidder. And what higher 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 bidder are you, are you going to get than a Rams team that is historically one of the most aggressive front offices? In football, year after year after year, they're going to push uh, all their chips into the table and they're going to go all in. So a smart move by Denver, in my opinion, they're doing exactly what a smart front office should do. Now, they probably, this would look a lot better for them if they would have just stayed home at nine and drafted Justin Fields. And, you know, now you have a young quarterback to build around this young core with all these draft picks available to them. They could have rebuilt this defense on the fly. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. They're going to be in the, in the market for a quarterback next offseason. But, you know, Broncos doing, you know, I think the smart thing here, realizing that, you know, they had to look bigger than just this season. And that's what they did here. From the Rams perspective, though, I thought this, is, this was a very interesting trade from the Rams perspective. So, um, you know, they gave up a second and third round pick next year in this one, in this one trade here. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's an all in move for this Rams team. You know, Matthew Stafford's playing well for them. He's playing, I would, he's playing at a near MVP level in Sean McVay's offense right now. They're, they're rolling right now on that side of the ball. Their defense hasn't been quite as good as they were last year. And I think they saw Von Miller as that finishing piece for this pass rush where you have Aaron Donald in this pass rush. You have a couple of other talented guys like Leonard Floyd, who's a nice role player for them, as we all know from his time with the Bears. You have Jalen Ramsey shutting things down in the secondary. So this Rams defense looks scary, scary good. Now that you add Von Miller, who you know is isn't quite what he once was in his prime, obviously he's dealt with some injuries over the past few years. Uh, but Von Miller is still a very, very good edge rusher. And, you know, I thought it was very interesting when you uh, look at Les Snead and he, when he was talking about uh, this trade with Rich Eisen on his, on his show. Uh, you know, Les Snead basically admitted that, you know, part of the reason why they gave up as much as they did was because Denver Broncos was willing to basically take on the majority um, of Von Miller's salary this year to make it work. So basically uh, the Rams sacrificed, you know, salary – Von Miller this year or the Broncos sacrifice salary this year to basically buy higher draft capital. And, you know, I, I think it makes a lot of sense for the Broncos aspect to do things like that. Um, but it also makes sense for, uh, the Rams that, you know, they barely had any room for Von Miller. So in order to fit you know a guy like of his talent on the roster, you kind of have to give up a little bit more in order to, to do that. And that's exactly what they did with this trade. And you know, it, it goes back to the entire team building philosophy of the Rams because you look at this team. Now they don't have their first round pick this year because of the Matthew Stafford trade, they don't have their second round pick. They don't have their third round pick, but you look at some of the other picks that they have coming in the works and uh, down the line here, uh, they have, you know, a, comp, a compensatory third round pick coming down the line. And then f- four other comp picks that they're expecting to get uh, coming next year as well. So I think the Rams were pretty uh, knowledgeable of the fact that yes, they're giving up a lot here, but they're going to be getting some of these picks back anyway. So why not make a move to go all in? You know, what were your thoughts on this on this trade from the Rams'
3: perspective? So from the Rams' perspective, it was pretty much just, hey, listen, we're going to continue to go all in on a Super Bowl here. Because if you look at the Rams, I mean, look, Aaron Donald signed a long-term deal in 2018. Will Max signed that long-term deal about – 24 hours later but he's got what three four seasons left of that aaron donald deal before you expire that and you throw that out the window and then what happens is you know you get to the super bowl but then the window kind of had to reset everyone kind of thought what's going on with the window is it open is it not open well what you do is this you swap out todd Gurley for daryl henderson As well as Cam Akers. Gurley's knee injury certainly hurt him. He's no longer even a star running back in the NFL. And then what happens is this is you look at the quarterback position, we thought the Rams were going to go all in at the um, Super Bowl last year when kind of Jared Goff was playing some okay football really wasn't much and then you realize well this isn't going to get the job done we're just going to have to go out and trade two first round picks for Matthew Stafford we thought kind of that was going all in and then somewhere in there you had a trade for Jalen Ramsey last year at the trade deadline to the Rams are in a team that's just going to continue to be active but this Von Miller move just pretty much already solidifies that the rich got richer the Rams are already one of the top teams in the NFL I mean everything that Matt Stafford has been able to do so far in seven eight games has been everything that Jared Goff struggled that we talk about reading defenses hitting those explosive big plays down the field Jared Goff struggled with all that and he just unfortunately was not able to do so with any sort of consistency or sufficiency Sean McVay would always be in his helmet and say hey Jared this is the guy that you're going to throw to right here and so ultimately the Rams are going even more all in than a Super Bowl and are all in than we thought in years past and I think this year they are going to be the NFC's favorite to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Yeah,
2: the Rams are right up there with uh, the Buccaneers, the Cardinals, uh, the Packers, the Cowboys. It's it's a brutal top five uh, for the NFC right now. The Rams are right there. And they're certainly hoping that this Von Miller trade can put them over the top. You know, we'll see what happens there. That that defense looks really scary though. Uh, I, I, if you would have told me, you know, three, four years ago that uh, you'd have one defense with Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald and Von Miller, I'd be thinking that's the greatest defense of all time, regardless of who else you have. Um, you, know, you know, I wouldn't say they had that potential right now in LA, but uh, they, they have potential to be very, very scary uh, going forward here uh, when we look at this team moving forward. All right. So we're going to move on now from some trade deadline talking shipped over to college football, because, you know, we haven't talked about college football in a couple of weeks here. We talked mostly about the bears and their direction of where they're going as a franchise last week after that Buccaneers disaster, this disaster against the Buccaneers. Uh, so now you say I want to talk about the college football playoff rankings because it's starting to get to that point in the year where uh, every single game is going to count here as we kind of enter, I would say the final stretch of the college football season, but we're starting to get to that point now. And you know, I wanted to go over the rankings here because I thought it was very interesting. This was kind of a controversial poll that we saw from the college football playoff committee. So number one, obviously you have Georgia. Uh, they've been the best uh, team in college football this season, uh, Alabama at number two, which I mean it was controversial for some people, but you know Alabama's Alabama in my opinion, um, and then Michigan State coming in at third after beating Michigan this past week, and then obviously four and five, yeah, Oregon, Ohio State's Cincinnati coming in at six despite being undefeated, and then all the way to number eight you have Oklahoma who you know keeps on falling and just not looking impressive despite uh, being undefeated as well, if my memory. Uh, serves correctly there so when you're looking at these rankings here right now you said what are some of your main takeaways
3: from this college football playoff decision on some of these teams I mean, when you look at a lot of these teams, right, I mean, let's just talk about the top four first off. Now, Georgia's obviously got the best defense in the country. What Georgia doesn't have is really an offense to kind of complement the best defensive unit in the country. So I get why Georgia's number one. And then you look at Alabama. I mean, Alabama, you could argue, is still number one just because they started off the season so hot. But then ultimately losing to Texas A&M in a game that went down to the wire is certainly going to knock you down a spot or two from the very top. I mean, Michigan State's been playing perhaps its best football that we've seen in a really long time under former Bears defensive coordinator Mel Tucker. All right, Oregon's up there. I think, though, what I'm surprised at is the fifth in the ac I mean, Ohio State with C.J. Shroud, the new quarterback, he certainly, Ohio State hasn't been as explosive, but they've still been up there. They've gotten some quality wins. And then Oklahoma, I think, is really the big one that sticks out to me because in my opinion, you could probably make an argument when you go ahead and you re- revisit these rankings in a couple of weeks here that Oklahoma does deserve to be a top four team, especially with Caleb Williams leading the way. I think that if Spencer Rattler's never really in the picture and the Sooners go ahead and switch to Caleb Williams, much quicker than originally expected then what would happen is this is that Oklahoma would probably be the third or fourth ranked team in the college football playoff right now and then I'm also surprised when you look at some of these teams like Notre Dame being ranked okay 10th overall that's a team that we remember was in the playoffs a year ago you look at um, Iowa slipping down all the way to 22nd which kind of happened after they lost a couple weeks ago there was also a time this season Iowa was considered a top five team in college football. So, yeah, you look at these rankings, there's been so much shifting and movement. It's kind of surprising because we're not really seeing some of the normal powerhouses like an Iowa or a Notre Dame or take for an Oklahoma. Or even you could throw in their Michigan teams that are just flat out dominating and that kind of our top 10, top 15, 15 teams every year. We're seeing new programs emerge.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think it's interesting when you look at four and five here, Ohio State and Oregon. I, I think Ohio State, they've been a really dominant team ever since really losing that one game to Oregon. But that loss to Oregon's starting to bite them a little bit here because Oregon, they've been pretty consistent uh, throughout this year. Ohio State, they kind of struggled. I wouldn't say struggled early, but they had some ups and downs early as CJ Stroud kind of got you know, his legs under him, um, getting his, you know, first year as a starter here. Um, But Stroud has really started to play well over the past few weeks or so. And and this Ohio State team has been humming along really ever since then, you know, been winning a lot of games in in dominant fashion. Obviously, they had a little bit of a tougher test this last week against Penn State, uh, but they won that game by double digits as well. So Ohio State, I, I think, you know, they're on the outside looking in right now, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, to see them find their way into the top four, especially because, you know, they're going to, I would assume they're going to have to play Michigan State at some point coming up here. And, you know, I think the story with Michigan State has been just Kenneth Walker, you know, absolutely being dominant for them so far this year. Look at what he's done so far in eight games, uh, over 1,000 yards already on the season, 14 touchdowns. And, you know, he's just been, he's been the offense for Michigan State so far this year. And and you talk about Mel Tucker and, you know, his influence on this program so far. Mel Tucker, you know, for all the flack Bears fans are going to give him for uh, the, his disastrous tenure as the defensive coordinator for the Bears during the Mark Tressman years, uh, he's done a good job of rebuilding this program here at Michigan State. And, you know, Kenneth Walker's been the centerpiece of that. Uh, another big year for him after having 13 touchdowns in only, I think, seven games last year. So uh, Walker, he's firmly put himself in the Heisman, uh, conversation here after that dominant game against Michigan who Michigan they have a great defense so uh, the fact that Walker was able to do what he did against Michigan uh, very impressive stuff uh, from him there and, and he's putting himself in the conversation when it comes to the draft of maybe he's going to be the first running back taken in the draft when it's all said and done I, you know I don't really uh, scout running backs too heavily I don't really uh, you know running backs is not a position to where I put too much stock into, uh, because I, I, in my opinion, you can find guys in the fifth, sixth, seventh round and, uh, be just fine. But if you can find a special talent at that running back spot early in the draft, and he can be a true difference maker for you, you know, it, it, does make, it can help you, uh, depending on the scheme you're in for what you want to do offensively. So, uh, Walker, he's been closer and closer to that type of guy this year. What are your thoughts on Walker and where that Michigan state team is heading for, uh, this year as well?
3: Yeah, Michigan State. I think to me is um still a bit of an enigma because, look, are they ranked as high as they are? Yeah, but then also you kind of tend to look at some of the teams that they've played this season, and then you could argue, okay, is it really that impressive of a schedule? Well, I mean, yes and no because you're looking at okay, Northwestern, their first game of the season. Northwestern so up and down. Youngstown State never even heard of them. And then number 24, Miami. Okay. I mean, yeah, number 24, Miami, it, again, it's not necessarily a terrible team, but some of these rankings were also based on preseason. And then you have Nebraska, Western Kentucky, Rutgers, Indiana, and then Michigan. And so you wonder like, okay, why rank Michigan state as high as they've been ranked? Is it because they're sitting here pretty much undefeated through the first like eight, nine, 10 games of the season, or is it more so because like they ended up beating Michigan, which again, at one point was kind of one of the top ranked teams in the nation. So ultimately I think that's what it is. And I think that that win over Michigan really kind of gave the committee a bit more, leniency when it came to ranking Michigan State now when you do look at Michigan State I mean I think that November 20th at Ohio State as well as November 6th against Purdue and then November 27th against Penn State those are some three key dates to circle so Three of your last four are against Purdue, Ohio State, Penn State. You need to win at least three of those in order to have – and then you've got um, Maryland in there as well. You have to win at least three of the last four, and especially win against Ohio State and Penn State to kind of sneak into the playoffs and be considered to be the fourth or third-ranked team in the country.
2: Yeah, that Ohio State game is going to be the key matchup, I think, when it comes down to – the final stretch of this college football regular season—that's uh, going to be the game that I think we should be circling as really determining, you know, who's going to make it into that top four outside of just the conference championships, as well as as they as they come up down the road. So uh, definitely keep an eye on on that Ohio State Michigan State game when that comes later on in the season in a couple of weeks here. Um, in terms of the last thing I want to talk about before we move on to maybe uh, the, the game of the week that we're going to talk about for week 10 um, of the college football season. I want to talk about uh, Cincinnati and Oklahoma real quick, get my thoughts on those before we move on Uh, Cincinnati being ranked six years by being undefeated on the year. You know, again, I think a lot of this comes down to the college football committee is going to favor teams in bigger conferences, especially the sec more uh, than a small school, or I wouldn't say a small school, but you know, more so a mid major team like uh, Cincinnati right now, Um, uh, Cincinnati, they have a great program going right now though. You know, we'll see what happens there. You know, Devin Ritter, You know, for all the frustrations of his development as, as a quarterback going into this upcoming class, there's no doubt about that, that the Cincinnati team is rolling right now. So we'll ha- have to see how they finish out the year and see what the college football committee thinks of them. But Oklahoma is very interesting because you, know, you talk about a team not being impressive at all, yet winning all these games. Like Oklahoma just hasn't hasn't impressed whatsoever. And I think Caleb Williams has helped uh, with with – them a little bit in terms of getting this offense back on track but even then you know they struggled to beat a terrible kansas program um you know a couple weeks ago and it went down that game went down to the wires so oklahoma they're winning games right now but it's been ugly for them and you know i'm excited to see you know whether caleb williams can put it all together to end this regular season and you know get the oklahoma going on a little bit of a of a you know hot streak here to end the year and really put together some impressive wins but man just looking at this team they're just way too inconsistent and not impressive really and again it, it is really about style points points in college football a lot more than uh, it is in the nfl certainly and oklahoma just doesn't have the style points right now to kind of contend with and they, they just don't look like they can contend with some of these other teams like alabama and georgia certainly and even ohio state oregon and you know Michigan to a degree, they just don't look like they're on that type of level right now. But we'll see what happens with them. Certainly a lot of season left here in the college football season. All right. The last thing I want to talk about here for college football is, you know, the big matchup uh, coming this upcoming week in college football on Saturday, uh, which is Liberty at Ole Miss. Now, typically, this is not a big time rivalry game. Obviously, Liberty being a small program themselves in Ole Miss, you know, they're they're ranked right now, but certainly not in that conversation for the college football playoff. That, that's for sure. But the reason I want to talk about this game is because we're getting the matchup between potentially the two top quarterbacks in the 2022 Draft class, that being Malik Willis on Liberty and Matt Corral on Ole Miss. You know, Malik Willis and Matt Corral, both these players have had you know, really outstanding seasons. Malik Willis has, has flashed a lot of the physical talent that has a lot of scouts buzzing about what his potential could be. While Corral, you could argue, he's right up there with Kenny Pickett as being the best quarterback in college football this season. Certainly uh, among the names uh, up there in that in that echelon of players. So in terms of this game right here, you said, what are some of the things you are looking forward to in this matchups? and, And what do you want to see from both of these quarterbacks in terms of what they need to show in order to establish themselves as the top quarterback potentially in this class?
3: Yeah. Well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Now looking at this game, I mean, it's clearly more about the quarterbacks than it is even the rest of these teams. So you're looking at Matt Corral, Malik Willis. Now Liberty, I think is interesting. And Malik Willis is certainly an interesting prospect too, because there's been times you look at and you know he's being compared to a guy like a Lamar Jackson. Let's say you know Malik really Willis. Let me just go ahead and say this disclaimer: he's not as dynamic as some of these other dual threat quarterbacks like a Justin Fields, a Kyler Murray, or Lamar Jackson that have kind of come out of college over the last couple of years. But then you also see enough there to work with in the sense that from the as in terms of the athlete that he is, in terms of what he has the tools, the traits, the athleticism he brings to the table, you definitely see, okay, there's more than enough to work with here in order to go ahead and um, develop into a solid NFL starting quarterback. On the other hand, with Ole Miss, you have Matt Corral, who, again, I think right now is my number one overall pick in the 2022 NFL draft. You're seeing a player who the game really slowed down for Matt Corral from 2020 to 2021. And ultimately, you look at him, I mean, I think that he has the floor – Or, I'm sorry, he's got the ceiling of a guy like, let's just say, a Zach Wilson, right? In the sense that Zach Wilson, we talk about all the time in terms of he was the highest riser. I think that Matt Corral this year is kind of a very similar player to Zach Wilson in the sense that he's able to make some of these off script throws. He's able to basically get out of the pocket, deliver the ball on time, deliver this ball with timing, anticipation, accuracy. So, really, Matt Corral is a solid prospect. And I also think that he doesn't have the biggest arm in the world, but he's certainly shown, hey, you know what? I can definitely sling it. I can hit these balls. I can fit these balls into some tight windows. So ultimately that's where I'm at with Matt Corral. And so really both of these guys, I think have a good chance of going one and two in the 2022 NFL draft and is, are they super flashy by any means? Absolutely not. But do they absolutely have what it takes in order to be players that are going to go on to become solid NFL starters? Yeah, they do
2: yeah, I think for me, for both of these guys, you know Corral starting with him, you know he's having a, a solid year uh, so far this season uh, through eight games. But you know, you look at him, his efficiency has been down compared to what he did last year where you know he, he was very efficient over 10 yards an attempt last year, uh, you know a hundred and seventy seven rating overall in terms of passing efficiency at the college level you know again those numbers are down this year he's down to nine yards per attempt so far but uh the interesting thing for me is i think his decision making has been a lot better this year only two interceptions so far in the season he had 14 last year in a 10 game season now uh some of that stuff you know when you look at interceptions so that can be a little bit of fluky in terms of you know some some of them go against you some of them you know you get a little a little lucky in terms of interceptions uh not being you know completed uh in the process of a play but corral he's definitely you've seen growth from him as a decision maker again he's not been as prolific this season or efficient but uh decision making is a lot better i think he's definitely playing a quarterback position as a whole a lot more clean i think this season and, and that's what we need to see from him so that's what i want to see against liberty he's going up a defense where i think you know old miss is definitely going to have the upper hand in this game to say the least on that side of the ball so if he's not putting the ball at risk and he can really, you know, go out there and have a big game offensively, I, that's what I want to see from him. In terms of Malik Willis and what he needs to do in this one, you know, this is going to be the big stage for him and what he can do against an SEC opponent. Even though you know Ole Miss, they, uh, you know, I wouldn't say they have a fantastic defense, but you know, it's going to be it's going to be the toughest test of Malik Willis' season so far. And Willis, you know, we look at his game while I haven't had a chance to really break him down in depth yet, some of the things that I have been noticing from him after watching a couple games of his is the inconsistency play-to-play and, and really when it comes down to it, the, ac- <clears throat> the accuracy just hasn't quite been there on a consistent basis uh, so far. Really, when you look at him this year and even going into last year. So I, I want to see a you know a consistent game, play-to-play, is he putting together? Is he making sound decisions? Is he making quick reads? Is he accurate with the, th- with the balls that he does throw Um, because he, he has a knack for the spectacular. His highlight reel is as good, if not better than any quarterback coming into this quarterback class for 2022. Like he is a guy where you see the flashes of what he can be. If he can put it all together, he just needs to refine his game um, with a couple of tweaks here and there and again, get that consistency and accuracy on board. If he can do that, there is a lot to love about Malik Willis's game. He's going to have a big stage going up against Old Miss, and we'll see how he responds to uh, that big stage in this one coming up on Saturday. All right, last thing I wanted to cover for this podcast here to wrap things up is this upcoming Bears game against Pittsburgh on Monday night. Uh, So you say what we're going to do is we're just going to do our predictions here in terms of, you know, who's your X factor for this game. Who do you have winning and what's the score going to be in this one? You know, what are your thoughts on this game on Monday night against the Pittsburgh Steelers?
3: Yeah. So it's going to be another game where, again, it's going to be a tough matchup for the bears, but ultimately when you look at this, I mean, the series, we have to understand something. Their offense basically runs through Najee Harris. Ben Roethlisberger is not as dominant as he used to be. They still have a really solid defense that starts up front with outside linebacker tj watt so for the bears listen you're gonna have to slow down tj watt that means right tackle larry and what is his second or third career start he's gonna have to have the absolute game of his life you're gonna have to run the ball efficiently with hopefully david montgomery's back alongside Khalil herbert to use your third running back and damian williams as a mismatch because damian williams has some really good receiving ability has some really solid burst as well and then get the wide receivers involved too who have been so disappointing this year but for the bears look it's going to come down to what game plan are you going to put together for justin fields right are you going to make justin fields be the guy who has to basically play hero ball all over again like justin had to do last week or are you going to go ahead and say yeah you know what justin we don't need you to play hero ball we're just going to have you complete these short quick passes because again you showed that you could excel at it against the um 49ers you hit a lot of throws with efficiency and ease. And so ultimately that's what the Bears game plan is gonna need to be. Now in terms of score predictions, um the Steelers are definitely a tough team. They're a team that it's going to show resiliency. They're going to come out. They're going to play hard for Mike Tomlin from the start to the finish, but I think there's something different in the air for the Bears, and I'm probably going to end up being wrong, but I'm going to say the Bears win this one 19-11, to simply because I think that Khalil Mack, who's listed as day-to-day, ends up playing on Monday night anyway. He's going to use the bye week to kind of rest and heal up, and so the Bears are going to kind of get what you consider an upset win in Pittsburgh, because they may not be the better team on paper, but they certainly could look like the better
2: team on the field yeah i'm gonna go with the bears winning this one 16 to 15 it's gonna be an ugly game here because both of these offenses are just not good and painful to watch on a consistent basis i mean you talked about it the Steelers, they rely primarily on Najee harris and what he can do in the running game you know ben roethlisberger is just a shell of what he once was at, at this point in time in his career, you know they have some weapons on the outside. We look at Deontay Johnson, uh, Chase Claypool, uh, you know, you know Pat Fryworth at tight end. They have some guys to throw to here. You know Ben Roethlisberger just doesn't have the ability to, you know, push the ball down the field like he once was able to. and He's more of a check down game manager at this point, just not the same guy. So I think the Bears, when you look at defense here, you know they need to stop the run here on Najee Harris, and they need to you know, defend the quick passing game because Ben Roethlisberger is going to get the ball out quick in this one. You know, if they can prevent yards after the catch and shut down some of those quick hitting routes, I think they can have a lot of success here against this uh, this Pittsburgh offense. In terms of, you know, the Bears offense and what they need to do, I think that goes into my X factor here. And that actually is going to be Larry Bourne here because, I mean, you talk about being thrown into the fire right away. In his first two starts of his NFL career as a fifth-round pick coming off an injury, Larry Borm has to go up against Nick Bosa against the 49ers, one of the top 10 or so pass rushers in the game, in my opinion. And then after that, he's going up against T.J. Watt, who is a top-three edge rusher right now, if not the best edge rusher in the game, not named Miles Garrett. So, I mean, you talked about having to get tested right away. This is going to be a huge test for Larry Borm. And if he can just be serviceable – in this one and just hold up enough uh, in this one. I'll be super impressed with that because TJ Watt, I am I am scared about what he can do to this Bears offensive line. Him and Cam Hayward, Hayward uh, on, this, on this defensive front for the Steelers here, they're a very dangerous combo right there. So it, it's going to be a tough task for this Bears offensive line. If, if they can hold up well, I think the Bears could put up more points uh, in this one because Justin Fields, I think he is improving. If he's getting the ball out on time more, he looks more comfortable in the quick game, especially after last week. But, you know, if he's if, if he can't get the ball out because the offensive line is breaking down, it's going to be a rough game for him. And, you know, they're going to have to get the running game going with Khalil Herbert. It sounds like David Montgomery might be back this week. They took him off IR in terms of if he's in that three-week window now where he can practice and, and gear up to get back on the field. So they have three weeks to make a decision here on David Montgomery. You know, if he's back for this week on a Monday night football game here, we might get our first chance to see David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert as the running back duo going forward here. Yeah. That's certainly an exciting thing to look forward to for this Bears offense. So, again, I'm going to go 16-15 here. You know, watch out for that matchup of Larry Borm versus T.J. Watt. I think they're going to they're gonna test Larry Borm, the rookie, early and often in this game, and they're going to try and see if whether he can hold up over the course of, you know, a 60-minute game and see if whether he can, you know, really survive on that right side of the offensive line here. But, you know, I think the Bears, they're going to get the upset win here going into the bye week here. I think they bounce back here, you know, going on a three-game losing streak. You know, the Steelers, you know, for whatever reason, Mike Tomlin's coach teams. You know, Mike Tomlins is a great head coach. Like, don't get me wrong here. I think he's a borderline Hall of Famer at this point. But for whatever reason, the Steelers team, you know, they play up to their competition, but they also play down to their competition as well. And with their offense just not being very good, I think the Bears, you know, if their defense can get some guys back healthy, especially Cleo Mack, and if they can, you know, get a couple of turnovers here on this offense here, I think they could have a good chance here of going into Heinz field here and getting the victory. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us here at Picks for Pace here as we're going to wrap things up and move on to, really our next week here going forward. I want to thank our listeners once again for tuning in on all podcasting platforms. Make sure to follow us on social media at picks for pace on Twitter, where we have updates for you guys, especially on Saturdays during college football when that's going on. Uh, You said where can our our listeners find your work and follow you on social media.
3: Yeah, guys, you can follow my work on the bear report. Check out my Twitter handle, which is at Usaid Koshal. I'm always going back and forth there with the fans in terms of having healthy, engaging conversations. So check me out on both those platforms, and I'm always gonna be here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to give you say a follow on Twitter on social media in general, and give his stuff a read. Always does good stuff for the Bearport and other Bears platforms as well. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25. You can find my work on the Bearport. Definitely check out my Tracking the Trenches series, which should be out. At this point in the week where I break down uh, pass protection and the pass rush for the Bears every single week after every single game, uh, if you're into numbers and stats and offensive line defensive line play that's the article series for you in terms of uh, my video work for the bear report on YouTube, um, have a couple of projects in the works here, you know working on. Uh, certainly, Justin Fields again his game against the San Francisco 49ers that might be out uh, this weekend potentially. And I also have a video in the works on Sean DeSai and, and the defense so far. You know, and, how, and what Sean DeSai has done with his defense this season. Uh, even though they have they had a couple, you know, uh, some rough games recently, uh, I, I would say Sean DeSai has had some impressive moments as a defensive coordinator so far. So definitely check that out down the road when that comes up. All right, again, that's going to wrap it up for us here at Picks for Pace. Uh, have a great and fun and safe weekend bears fans you know hopefully we get to see a bears win on monday night football in a primetime opportunity but until then bears fans bear down and we'll see you next week
1: the headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place the elites in charge say everything's fine stop noticing but you know better and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos